Welcome to a very special episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. If you've had any affiliation with Cutco or Vector, then your life has been touched by Eric Lane. Eric has an incredible life story, including fleeing Stalin's USSR in a rowboat, emigrating to the United States, winning speed skating titles, graduating from the University of Wisconsin, going to work for Alcoa, and ultimately being charged with taking over a little knife factory on State Street in Olean, New York. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories of all the amazing people who have worked at Cutco and have changed people's lives through their influence on others. No one in the history of Cutco has changed more lives than Eric Lane. In this episode, I have the great honor of getting together with four other former colleagues and friends of Eric to honor his amazing life. You'll hear how each of us met Eric, some stories and lessons from his life, and how Eric changed each of our lives. Thank you for taking the time to honor Eric and his family by listening to this tribute. Let's get on with his spectacular biography and our powerful conversation. Erki Johannes Komulainen was born on August 3rd, 1933 in the Soviet Republic of Karelia, where his Finnish parents had found work during the Depression. Uh, Joseph Stalin began purging the Finns in Karelia shortly after Erki was born, and the family fled by rowing across Lake Ladoga to Finland. Uh, That is 85 miles across the largest lake in Europe. It's almost the distance across Lake Michigan. When Erki was four years old, his family rode across another watery border from the Canadian shore of the Sault Ste. Marie locks to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and they ultimately settled in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Eric, as he became known, started kindergarten without knowing English, but he quickly picked it up. He took up speed skating, winning the Wisconsin Silver Skates Championship. At age 13, he paddled the boundary waters of Canada for six weeks with three of his friends. He graduated from Washington High School in 1951 and was admitted to the University of Wisconsin. Uh, At the University of Wisconsin, Eric joined the Sigma Phi fraternity. He was a ski jumper on Wisconsin's ski team and vice president of his senior class. He graduated in 1955 with a BS in civil engineering and was immediately hired by Alcoa. A major life milestone was in 1959 when he was granted U.S. citizenship. Eric rose the ranks at Alcoa while starting a family and having four children. They were an active family playing tennis, skiing, and sailing. In 1977, Alcoa sent Eric to one of its subsidiaries in Olean, New York. That was Alcas Cutlery Corporation. Alcoa charged Eric with assessing the company with the expectation that it would be put up for sale. But Eric had something else in mind. He saw tremendous potential in the little knife factory on State Street, and he built amazing relationships with the people there, including and perhaps most notably Jim Stitt. Eric mapped out a different future for the company, assembling an executive team and then leading a buyout of the company from Alcoa in 1982. As president, CEO, and chairman of Alcas, which became Cutco Corporation in 2009, Eric oversaw the transformation of the Little Knife Factory into the largest 
cutlery company in North America, created a global presence with Cutco in other countries, and simultaneously helped grow the vector marketing sales arm that has impacted hundreds of thousands of people. Even as the company grew, Eric greeted every person who worked there by name and asked after family members by name as well. He retired from Cutco on January 1st, 2008. Prior to moving to Olean, Eric had become a single dad. And in Olean, he had the good fortune of meeting Marianne Letro, a daughter of Olean and graduate of St. Bonaventure University. Marianne and Eric were married on May 5th, 1979. And Marianne played an important role in the success of the company over the years, hosting innumerable company events during Eric's leadership of the company and by providing a welcoming home for Eric's children and their families. Eric served on numerous industry, corporate, and community boards, but he was especially committed to supporting higher education. He established college scholarships for the children of employees at Cutco, and he funded scholarships at the University of Wisconsin. He led the successful campaign to create the Cattaraugus County campus of Jamestown Community College in Olean. He served as a trustee for Alfred and St. Bonaventure Universities. And with Marianne, he was instrumental in developing the Quick Center for the Arts at St. Bonaventure. Eric loved Olean, New York. He was a director of Olean General Hospital, Cattaraugus Economic Development Zone, and the Olean Area Chamber of Commerce, which honored him with an award for the person who best embodies the enterprising spirit for the greater Olean community. Eric had a generous heart, the uncommon virtue of being an optimist, unfailing belief in other people, and the leadership to create opportunities for so many of us to this day. There's a Finnish word, sisu, which can be described as a combination of integrity, courage, and tenacity that is passionately and purposefully directed. Eric Lane lived with great Sisu. He passed away on December 1st, 2020, and is survived by his wife, Marianne, his brother, Tom, four children, 11 grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, and a large extended family, both in the U.S. and in Finland. The five of us have come together to honor Eric today. I'm with Jim Stitt Sr., the chairman of Cutco Corporation. I am with Joe Cardillo, who is the general manager of Canada, John Welpley, president COO of Vector Marketing Corporation, and Mike McFadden, who is known as the ambassador of fun, former sales promotion manager for Vector Marketing Corporation. All these guys knew Eric really, really well, have built great relationships with him, and we're looking forward to sharing some stories and insights about Eric today. Thanks, guys, for uh, being a part of this. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. And, and kudos to Joe Cardillo for being the driving force and putting this together. Uh, let's start by sharing how and when we each first met Eric. Jim, why don't you take this first? Yeah, let me, let me start out. I came here in April 1st, 1975, so two years before Eric got here. And I came on the very same day that Floyd Greco became president. And Floyd was here for two years, and Floyd got transferred to a vice president of wherever aluminum in Chillicothe, Ohio. And that happened in June of 1977. My home, my parents at the time, I grew up in Chillicothe, Ohio, and that was my very first job was with was at wherever. 
So I was back home, and we knew that uh, Floyd had left, and there was a search for a new president. And I got the call while I'm at my parents' house in Chillicothe that if we have a new president. His name is Eric Lane, of which I did not know, had never met before. And my wife, Carol, who also grew up in Chillicothe, uh, she says, well, I know Eric. He says, uh, Eric lived down the street from us when he, he was in Chillicothe at wherever for, I think, three years. And she says, he lived down the street from us. And her older sister used to babysit for Eric. And just uh, a little story that I'll go here is that Carol's mother drove back and forth to Columbus every day, which was about 60 miles. She worked in Columbus. And there was one night, it was a horrible ice storm. And all of a sudden, Carol gets this knock at the door. And it's Eric Lane saying, your mother was in an accident. I'm going down to get it. Anything you need, take care of it. But I guess I'm going to just starting this off. And then then I came back to Olean a week later and, and met Eric here. So I was really of the group here, the first one to meet him uh, day one of starting that. I was the uh, uh, I was the uh, plant engineer at that time. But I think it's uh, starting there, it just kind of embodies what Eric was all about. So here's Eric that comes from work, goes down there because he knows uh, that uh, the mother's coming from from uh, from Columbus, the ice storm, goes down to help out, goes over to the house, said, you girls need anything. And so it was kind of unique that a meet happens like that. So here's somebody then many years later says, well, I, I knew Eric Lane. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. And so Eric came to Olean two years after you, right? Yes, he came two years after me. And then so I would have met him uh, it, it was like, I think about the third week of July, I came back and we started having meetings right away as to how was the company going to go, what we we're going to do, what we we're going to do different. And it started right then. Awesome. It was great. Yeah. How about you, John? Well, mine's easy. I met him on May 18th, 1981, approximately 845 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was an accounting intern. I was hired and I started working at eight o'clock and they were introducing to everyone. And they brought me into the president's office, and Eric's response was, hey, nice to meet you. Sit down. Let's visit. So I had a half-hour visit with Eric. And it's quite amazing when you consider that, you know, an accounting intern is going to sit down with the president of the company, and Eric just opened up, and it was Eric all over. Warm, genuine, friendly, asking about my family, learning about me. And as you'll probably hear later on, he never forgot any of the facts he knew about someone's family. So, yeah. Wow. Awesome. Cool to hear. Mickey, how'd you meet Eric? I met Eric in 1983 when, at the time, Vector Marketing was just forming their alliance with Cutco and Outcast. And it was my maybe second or third time on an airplane, and we flew into Buffalo, then we went to Olean. And he met us right at the door and gave the Vector organization a personal plant tour and introduced us to all the plant workers by name. And he was just a gracious, warm host and instantly gave me the impression that, you know, this company is going places. And it certainly did. Wow. Very cool. And, uh, and Joe? Well, for me, it was uh, our first trip to Olean as the field organization, uh, probably similar to you, Dan. 
and for me was in the spring of 1989 when I was a part of our Michigan Great Lakes uh, Central Region team. And fascinating enough, even from that first time meeting Eric, I happened to be in his tour of the factory and he's like, you want to see the the executive offices? And I'm like, yeah. And he took us, uh, you you Olean people would know, but I remember the wood panel walls. Uh, You know, it's not what people walk in today. It was that side of the factory down uh, where all those executive offices were. But that was my first time. But shortly after, it was 1990. And that's when I was lucky enough to be a part of that Canadian startup team. And uh, maybe it's just how Eric made everybody feel, but he made Team Canada feel like we were extra special uh, to him. And uh, he would come up for our summer conference that summertime and hosted us in Olean for the picnic event and, and different events. He really had an affinity for our, our Team Canada, and uh, you could feel that. Yeah, my story is just like yours in terms of it was when I first went to Olean. My first visit to Olean was in April of 1990. The Western Zone, as it was called back then, was uh, small enough that we could have our entire management team come to Olean for the summer management conference or summer prep conference, as it was back then. And I was about to become a branch manager. And that was when I had the great opportunity to first meet Eric. And, you know, one of you guys used the word warmth to describe Eric. And certainly that's one of the first impressions that I had of him is just how warm and friendly of a leader he was. And there, you know, we tend to sense ourselves a lot of times from people who are these, you know, CEOs and, top leaders. And, and um, I certainly felt completely at ease with Eric right from the start. And, and I also think about uh, the word authenticity, which is sort of a buzzword in leadership nowadays. And Eric exemplified that 30 years ago uh, when I first met him. And that was something that struck me as well in, uh, in getting to know him way back then. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, Jim, you have an amazing history with Eric. Uh, initially being, you know, like, like his right hand guy there in the company and being part of the team that bought Cutco from Alcoa and then ultimately taking over as CEO, you know, as, as uh, Eric passed that torch to you. Tell us a little bit about the partnership that, uh, that you had with Eric. Yeah. As well, as I said, you know, I, I came uh, two years before he did and he came in in 1977 and he was, a, he was a single guy when he came here. And he was a tennis player, and I was a tennis player, and we had just gotten a year or so before that a nice indoor tennis facility. So uh, it became an outlet for for Eric, and I was looking for people that always wanted to play tennis, and so we just kind of go play tennis, hang, have a beer, so started a relationship of just getting to know. Uh, I'm this young guy at 28, 29 years old, and and they say the authenticity and just the relationship. You know, and today when you talk about partnerships whatever it is, but to think of something that, that went over 40 years, they're very rare in anything. And, uh, you know, I still, to myself, question, you know, I, I, there were times I'd say, I don't know why he likes me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we get along. I mean, it, it was just, it just was something that was very special. And I grew up in a small family retail plumbing and heating business. And what I did a lot with my dad was work. And we'd play ball and things, but it was like projects. We were working on at the business and plumbing, or we had a trailer business. And I did those things. And I was kind of say with my dad, we were kind of at that place like of 
when he'd come up here spend a week, I'd have to find projects for him. But he couldn't just come up and sit around the house. And so, like, we're doing something. Well, I'd go reach down and get a nail, and he'd have the hammer in my hand. And I'd go get a pipe in, and he had the pipe wrench in my pan. And it was the same relationship had with Eric. Uh, you know, Eric was, uh, I'm 15 years younger than Eric. I was fortunate enough to really have two fabulous dads. I mean, Eric was like a dad also, a mentor, a dad, as to how we got along. But we really, I think, really understood each other and kind of knew where the other one was thinking. And it was at that point, like you say, a husband and wife at times where the, you finish the sentence from your, from your wife or your vice versa. And, and we, it just happened, you know, and it was just, uh, whatever it was, but it was a very special relationship and, and, uh, from a business and then personal friendship. And Carol and I were, were, uh, very good friends with, uh, with Eric and Mary Ann with a lot of the trips we took and we'd hang out a lot together. And it just was, it was just real special. And you just don't find those in business or any kind of relationships that go 40 years and, yeah. and still great deep friendships is at the end. Yeah. So cool. There certainly aren't very many companies that you could find that have had that, that consistent leadership for so long, like uh, Cutco has had with, uh, with Eric and with you. And it's a, it's really an amazing partnership that was established and that, that uh, stood the test of time. John, I know that you learned a lot about business and about life from Eric and that, that these values that you hold, that you espouse are really a part of the fabric of Cutco Vector and that these many of these came from, from Eric Lane. What, what stands out among the lessons that you learned from Eric? There are so many that I couldn't... I'd take me days to cover everything. Eric and Jim both were great mentors. Eric... I use four words to describe some of the lessons that Eric gave me. People, passion, commitment, and forgiveness. First and foremost, Eric recognized that people were the most important asset this company could have. He valued them. He recognized that good people with passion and commitment could do amazing things. And he truly cared about everyone as a person. He once said, as we, after we had brought Vector Marketing on board, and I was an accountant, and we're taking care of all the bookkeeping. And there was an intangible asset on the books when we bought Vector. That intangible asset was the people. And he recognized that the biggest thing that we got out of Vector were the people and direct sales and what it could mean for this business. And that sits with me, how important people are. Eric was passionate about everything he did. He never put a partial effort in. He was all in. At work, at play, when I say play, I ran the mountains, the South Mountain in Arizona one time with SLC. I was 30, Eric was 60, and Eric would not quit until we got to the top of the mountain. It was a long trip. Or, and some of you probably could relate, Eric also was passionate when he sat in the sauna. <laughs> so, always passionate and about everything. And Eric was committed. Eric was committed to Cutco, the company. He was committed to Cutco, the product, to the method that we delivered that product, consumers and direct sales. He was committed to the people and wanted to protect them. And as Jim and, or actually Dan, as you said in Eric's bio, he was committed to Olean and the people of Olean and trying to make this a better place. And the last thing was forgiveness. I will tell you that I didn't always please Mr. Lane. 
And on more than one occasion, I was told why I didn't please Mr. Lane, but Eric forgave. The next day, he just went on. And one of the things he reminded me of is people make mistakes. The biggest thing is to make sure they learn from those mistakes and grow. So it's those four words that I would say are key principles that I pick out from Eric that he not only said, but did by actions. Yeah, really well said, John. People, passion, commitment, and forgiveness. Uh, I love that. I want to get to some Eric Lane stories with you guys. And uh, I'm going to turn it to you, Mickey, to start on this one in a minute. But first, <laughs> I got I to gotta share with you guys a little story of Eric Lane from my experience. It must have been 1995, and I was a part of the Presidential Advisory Council, which was a group of one key manager from each zone at the time, each region, basically, uh, that came together to advise and discuss you know, with the company about how to improve our programs and move things forward, etc. And we had the PAC meeting in Olean. I remember this meeting because it's the only time I ever flew to Bradford, Pennsylvania instead of Buffalo, which is a little closer and had a car take me up to Olean. And we really got treated well. And Eric was a, a, a big part of this. And Eric took us to his lake house at Cuba Lake. And so we, it was like big log cabin that was custom built and had this over the water boathouse where he could drive his boat right in on the water and in like, like a garage on the water. It was awesome. And he, Eric also had this custom finish sauna at the property, which I'm sure all of you guys have experienced. And he invited us to, you know, go in the sauna. And I, I only a couple of us went in the sauna with him. I don't remember why it was only a couple of us in there. But uh, we're sitting in the sauna and Eric just starts telling stories. And he starts telling stories of how he would, you know, run out of the sauna and jump into the frozen lake. Or he talks about one time he was sitting in the sauna and he's like, you know what? I'm going to go skiing. And he goes cross country skiing across the lake. I'm not sure how much he was wearing at this time. It might not have been a lot though. And he's cross country skiing across the lake and he sees an ice fisherman out there. And he just skis right up to the ice fisherman. And he's like, hey, buddy, are the fish biting? And the ice fisherman looks up and sees Eric and was just stunned, stunned to see, you know, what <laughs> basically what he saw there. And that the, this leader of the Olean, uh, the Olean community was out there skiing in the middle of the lake in the middle of the winter. And Eric's telling me this story. And I'm thinking in my mind, it is hot in here. And I ask Eric, how hot is it in this sauna? And he says, there's a thermometer right behind your head. And I turn around, and I'm not kidding you guys, it was over 200 degrees in the sauna. I thought the thermometer was broken until later on I learned that Finnish saunas can get that hot. If you Google Finnish sauna today, you'll see that they're usually kept between 190 and 220. It was hot. It was incredible. And it was a cool experience just to be with Eric in his element and to hear him tell some funny stories. Mickey, why don't you pick up on that one? I will, Dan. That's a good story. Everybody has a sauna story. <laughs> but uh, we were at an executive board meeting in San Francisco. And it was in the morning. We were going to the meeting, day one. The elevator door opens, and Eric gets in the elevator, and he's got a, a boot cast on his leg and I'm 
I'm like, what happened? Are you okay? He said, well, I tore my Achilles tendon. So he decided it was like a November day that had gotten the ice, the lake had frozen over and it had gotten a little warm during the day. But Eric decided he was going to go out in uh, his underwear and speed skate a mile around the lake. (laughs) Well, this story is absolutely incredible. It really says something about how much of a stud this guy is and how tough he is. And he always had that ruddy complexion and that bright, brilliant smile. Well, about a mile out, he falls through the ice and severs his Achilles tendon. So you can imagine, okay, cutting through the ice to get out of the lake, takes his speed skates off and walks a mile back to his house in his underwear. And, you know, he calls his son, who is a doctor, and says, I think I tore my Achilles tendon. And he says, Dad, get back in the sauna right now. He had hypothermia traveling, you know, a mile, walking a mile back to his house. So that just tells you a little bit about Eric Lane and how, you know, physically, how strong he was. And in his late 60s, climbing Mount Rainier, he told stories about that. And the sauna, we were up there for a meeting, and there was a bunch of us there. And I think there was some top FSMs there. And we would get in the sauna, and the goal would be to try to hang in there with her. But he could last <laughs> three minutes in there. And if you stand in there for five minutes, it seems like an eternity. And then going back and forth from the sauna to the lake, from the sauna to the lake, it was like a workout. And he was like doing it, standing on his head like it was nothing. But there was always the little vodka that you got, the little finished vodka, get hit with the birch leaves, <laughs> a little move on the on the, the hot coals to make it about 10 degrees hotter in there. But all those fond memories about Eric, the, you know, traveling to uh, Europe with him. And at the DSA meetings, when I would go to the DSA meetings, he was like a king there. Everybody loved him from, you know, all the top direct selling companies and he was you know well loved and well respected and so gracious and it was amazing to see yeah so i'm just so proud i you know i got to know him over the years and he was you know such an endearing warm person to everybody that he met awesome cool joe give us your eric story sure Sure. There's so many to choose from. And Mickey, you talk about his radiant smile, you know, with his red skin, red face. And, you know, he just had that beautiful smile. And But when he would ask you a question or talk to you, he would look so serious. At least I remember that so focused on my answers and, and what he was asking me. We had the opportunity to be hosted at his home on Cuba Lake for a division manager meeting. And we had a sauna story and a big part of that was, I think it was either Angie or Rancha asking, how, how did that buyout go again? And I think we we're at, you know, 19 or how did Cutco start? And we were in like 1952 and we were all dying, you know, and we we're like, we can't, we can't hear any more of this story. We got to get out of here. But the thing that probably resonates with me and, and, and John, you talked about, you know, his passion for the business, for life. I remember sitting down with him one time. And I don't know if I know this exactly, but he talked about taking every grandchild on a trip when they were 11 
to really anywhere, if I remember this right, anywhere they wanted to go in the world. It was a trip, uh, just him and their grandchild. And uh, some of you mentioned he was kind of like a father. In some ways, it was like, I never really grew up with a grandfather. And whenever I had time with him, it was like, oh, that would be the coolest thing to do as a grandfather to do that trip. And we talked and we had the same affinity for the Olympics, especially the Winter Olympics. And I know that was a passion for him and, and he would travel for those. But uh, those are just some of the stories that come to mind, Dan. Yeah. Cool, Joe. That's awesome. John, how about uh, your Eric story? My Eric story actually has a little feedback with uh, Mickey Anna and the link to Joe Cardello and it involves Joe Grushkin. Joe Grushkin <laughs> leaving our business and Don Frieda was throwing a farewell party for Joe. So we were trying to figure out how to get down for that. So Eric Lane, Bob Hague, and myself took a charter flight down to Philadelphia because we had to be back for the next day for a meeting. So we took a charter flight down. We have a wonderful dinner. Say nice things about Joe. Say goodbye. Get back in the plane. We're coming back. Now, Eric Lane could fall asleep in 20 seconds. <laughs> so driving him back and forth to airports and stuff, Eric would sit in the second seat of my van, close the door, and be out until wherever we got to Buffalo or until we got back. So we get in this plane to come back from Philadelphia to, to Olean, and Eric goes to sleep. The plane has barely left the ground. Eric's asleep. Bob Haig is sitting up in the co-pilot seat. I'm sitting way in the back in the jump seat. And we're flying along. And Bob Haig goes to the, the pilot. He goes, how do you land these planes at night? There's no one at the airport. And the pilot goes, we're flying over a small town that's just east of here called Wellso. Pilot goes real easy. He reaches down between Bob and him, throws a switch. And you see the runway lights come on. So that's cool. So we go on another 15 minutes, and we're at Olean. Pilot reaches down, throws the switch, throws the switch again, clicking it back and forth. He goes, the lights don't come on. <laughs> he goes, I can fly you back to Wellsville, and I'll drive you over, or I can check, and we can try landing. He goes, let me buzz the runway to make sure there's no deer on it or anything. And so he's... He comes down into only an airport to buzz it once. Eric wakes up and goes, ah, what's up? Bob Higg goes, the lights don't come on in only in, so we're debating whether we're going to land or not. Eric goes, go for it. <laughs> right back to sleep. And we're like, you can't contradict the boss. <laughs> but it's like, oh my God. So the pilot says, okay. And we land in the dark. Eric wakes up and says, that was a great flight. <laughs> oh that's great that's cool that's so awesome e eric was uh certainly uh very bold as we yes. all know yeah nice nice jim we're waiting for your your story here well one i guess i give we, we you talked about a skiing story and uh and the ice but this is a skiing story uh eric lived about uh, a mile and a half from from the uh, from the office building here and there was one day we had about a foot and a half of snow and uh, people out there working. Eric hadn't shown up for work yet, which is, was odd. And then all of a sudden, here he comes. He cross-country skied to work. He comes in, plants his skis in the, by the front door, puts his poles in the ground. And, of course, he always had very colorful clothes he wore and hats. And uh, so he, he was one to, he was a man of passion. 
and purpose and fun and had some there. But part I also want to say is that just, I know you spoke to the fact when, you know, he met Marianne in 1979, of course, we were playing tennis. That's where he really met her was uh, from a friend. Uh, It was Marianne's brother-in-law who played tennis and introduced Marianne to Eric at the tennis club up on the third floor in the bar. And, and we, we'd meet up there some, and I knew, uh, I knew uh, her sister's husband. And so we were doing some of that, but you, you'd said that how Marianne was instrumental in just the events that, you know, she'd host, but say she was very instrumental. A spouse is very important and key success business stories. You know, and Eric came here, as he said, he came here to, uh, as Al said, go see if you can turn around and we'll get rid of it. And I'm sure when Eric came here, he wasn't planning on staying here either. He was, uh, he was going to make roads and he was, he was still moving and a lot of places without co how he continually transfer. And, and I would say that the story of Mary Ann becomes a very important story for Olean and Alcast. He was growing to, to love the place anyway, but those stories of spouses and where they go or where your kids marry and who they marry and where they're going to end up is that, uh, he found himself a home in, in the Litro family. And so a part of that is to, that to Olean, that, and to the Olean people and the Cutco, uh, that was, it, it was a very important item there that took place because I'm not sure he would have looked to have bought the place in 1982 if he didn't have that personal relationship there and the relationship to the community. It was a great place. He liked the people here, but that was, Mary Ann played a very important role in even letting the decision process even go forward. And, uh, and it's very important in all business relationships. And she did. She played the role very well as a spouse and in hosting and parties and travel. Uh, and as I say, when we traveled a lot on the, on the company trips and that, uh, Eric and Marianne and, and Carol and I, we spent a lot of time together, did a lot of things. We just had a lot of fun on those trips and really got to, to know and love each other and just have a lot of fun. But she played an important role in that. I know there's a story about Eric, but Marianne played an important story of helping Eric be who he was. Well, that's, that's my wife does with me. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great to hear. So cool. Our theme of uh, this podcast is changing lives, and and I think it would be really appropriate for us to talk about how Eric has changed each of our lives. Let me direct that one at you first, Joe. How has Eric changed your life? I think it's been addressed in different ways already in this podcast, but I think Eric was just a living, breathing example of living life to the fullest. You know, I think at the end of the day, he didn't leave anything on the table you know, personally, professionally, and his family, you know, he just lived it to the fullest, you know, from climbing mountains. uh, You know, I remember that time, John, hearing about that trip, you know, he just, he just went for it. And I think uh, the example with you, Mr. Stitt, uh, the courage it took to do what you gentlemen did, and to see him get rewarded for that to live life to the fullest, and uh, you only got one and, and give it everything you got. That's a takeaway from me from Eric, for sure. Yeah. Anybody else want to take this one? John? I'd echo would take and live life to the fullest. And I got to speak on behalf of 900 people here. If it wasn't for Eric Lane, we wouldn't be having this podcast and we wouldn't be having the success we have as a company. I owe my career to Eric because after I got hired as an intern, I was supposed to go to Alcoa when I graduated and get a job and Alcoa canceled all the internships and all programs to take them on. And Eric and Jim and Bob Lorenz said, 
Would you like to stay on? So I owe, I owe it to the company. It made me a lifelong resident of Olean. It gave me my beautiful wife of 31 years, a family, and the ability to take care of them and give back to a community that Eric loved so much and believed in. And that was something he and Jim is doing it in spades now. How do we take care of where we live and make it a better world? And we do it in a microcosm and only in New York because it's not the world. But Eric believed that and I get the chance to live it because of him. So I'm very, very thankful. Amazing. I'll hop in and uh, say that Eric, one, gave me the opportunity. I was with Alcoa. I had worked with Alcoa for 13 years when made the decision to become part of the team and, and buy in versus staying with, with Alcoa. Jim Cicerelli, who was here, he chose not to want to be a part of that at that point. But it, it did give me a chance to come back with that. And part of the vision I saw was if it all worked, and if the kids wanted to, in a small in small rural communities, it's hard to keep your kids around. At least it was one it was an opportunity to keep the family kind of intact. But then also, as to what I learned growing up in a family business in a small community, was that how you tie to the community and how important it is, and and really were. And John spoke to it is we are all about community here. We're about the employees here. To say the employees are important. But the community is important if you're going to have employees. And so much in business today, it becomes all about money and not about people. Now, clearly, we're about the employees here. We're about the field, the sales. But it's about this community of Olean. And we've come to work close to the largest employer. When I came to town, uh, I remember uh, Carol would go to these uh, women's club events or whatever, you know, and they'd say, newcomers and they say well, well where's your husband work well he works at outcast cutlery well, where's that he says what's well, down on state street you know and when it, oh it, it's that little knife place next to super and duper and that's mm-hmm. and these were people from dresser rand who dresser clark at the time and uh and now when people come to town who is it in town they want to talk about they want to talk about cutco and and outcast and the fact is that the business books don't really speak to it. You're starting to see more businesses start to talk about it. And, uh, and Joe, the, the little news clip that you uh, got me on to every, every Saturday getting it, but it's, it's a uh, social responsibility, stakeholders. It's not about, you know, the business everyone here. It's all about the shareholder. How do you increase shareholder value? What's well, about stakeholders and, and the people in the community? If Cutco was not in Olean, you take 800 jobs out of Olean. It's devastating. And unfortunately, so many businesses have done this. Uh, you know, they came in, you talk about the immigrants. They, uh, they, they came and they, they migrated to these areas because they could be low-cost labor. And then all of a sudden, you got all these factories, you got all these companies there, and Detroit's a major piece of this. When all of a sudden, it wasn't low-cost labor anymore, they just pick up and leave. What's well, not right. <laughs> you know, it's good you get your starts, but how do you grow together? I think it was Eric... Uh, clearly came here. Uh, we had three strikes three years in a row before Eric came every three years. Have never had one since. And part of that is, is that we, we really are all in this together. And everything you do, if it is not win-win, it's lose. You cannot have winners and losers because both will lose over time. And we took everything we did and how we work with our people and how we work with the union is it's got to be win-win. 
And and if you give everything away, you don't win. And some of Detroit did that in order just to keep from strikes. They gave too much at times. And then all of a sudden, they're not there anymore. So it's how do you work together to uh, to make a great relationship? And I, that's really what uh, what I've got. And when I came home from Hilton Head two weeks ago, we actually flew home private with the COVID and everything. How are we going to get home? And we did that. And we walked off the plane in Bradford. Uh, Carol looked up to the sky and said, thank you, Eric Lane. Hmm. And that's, I think that just speaks to what he is, opportunities that he's given to us, the community, so many things that he's done. We were all part of helping him get it done, but you had to have the leader, the vision that said, let's start. And and we all followed and did a good job. Awesome. Mickey, you got anything uh, to chime in on this one? Yeah, I, I, I just think uh, the sheer impact that he had on not only people in OEM, but far reaching. Okay. The, the present and the past and and the future uh people that are going to work for for vector and Cutco. but he shaped and formed so many lives uh because it you know it wasn't a little knife company it was a real company and i think eric solidified that you know when you met him and and you knew that you know along with with vector that that the company was going places and it's yeah was. yeah there's a nonprofit that I support. It's called One Life Fully Lived. And it's designed to like help, you know, teach people how to you know, maximize their opportunities in life. And a lot of good things come out of it. And the, the, comp- the uh, nonprofit has a annual event, which is a seminar that's sort of a combination of teaching and sharing information with their community and also garnering support, you know, financial support for the nonprofit. I gave a speech at this event and my speech was called the power of one life. And it wasn't about one life, the nonprofit. It was about one, how one life could impact so many people. And as I was thinking of examples to share in my message, the first person that came to my mind was Eric Lane. And I shared how Alcoa had decided that, you know, Cutco was probably going to be sold off and that one person decided that wasn't going to happen and led the buyout, led the turnaround, led the process that has become what Cutco is today and what Vector Marketing is today and how many thousands and thousands and thousands of lives including all of us, all the employees in the factory, all the Cutco reps and managers across the country, and all the future Cutco reps have been and will be impacted because of what one guy did. And um, it's just such a powerful thought to consider how much, how many lives Eric Lane has impacted through what he does and through his, his powerful influence. Anybody else uh, want to add any last words here? You know, I think one of the legacies that's in the vector field of Cutco sales right now and has been for a while is the sword of Eric. And for people in vector 10 years and above, you know, they know Eric, they know the stories of Eric. I got to believe in 2020, which is going to be our greatest year of Cutco sales ever, if I'm correct. And I think that's what will go down is there's people... Uh, that are going to win the sword of Eric, one of our most prestigious sales awards, Standard of Excellence. And hopefully this podcast will help put meaning to why this sword is called the sword of Eric. 
and mm-hmm. uh, his mark on our company. Yep. Awesome. You know, I just add to that, Joe, is just, and as they win that, I guess, as we talked about, I think the key around this whole thing was people. And what they learned is the sort of Eric is about people. Passion, take care of people. Be forgiving. Take care of people. You take care of the people, and the people will take care of you. And that's what we've learned in this company, and that's been our success. And we love our people. Yep. Go ahead, John. So I'm going to correct you. I'm sorry. It will not go down as the greatest year ever. It's the greatest year to date. Yes. And Eric would not let us sit and say, okay, we've reached the top. Yes. That's just not the way he was. And he would not accept that it's the greatest year ever. And he wouldn't want it to be. Yeah, I'm sure 2021 is going to be even greater and the future is bright. And everybody who's listening or watching this can give some credit to Eric Lane for a piece of your life and what you have. And it's awesome to have gotten together and be able to honor Eric with this today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. This is Joe Cardillo with just a couple final thoughts. If someone is lucky in life, maybe once or twice, you'll run into someone who really has it all. The intelligence, charisma, and that caring style of leadership. Eric Lane was one of those people for me, and I know he was that type of person for thousands of others. Eric, your legacy will live on not only in the Cutco Corporation, but it will live on for the thousands of people you positively affected through your lifetime and your example. Thanks for being you, Eric Lane. The world's a better place because of you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.